So we have been in a um, series we've just actually begun, uh, but this is the second week of a series of uh, conversations about buzzwords. And you know, buzzwords, they're words that, that um, maybe they didn't have a lot to say to begin with, but when they, when they escape their, their field of, of uh, meaning, they just kind of get drained of any meaning. So you hear people talk about quantum leap and you know, left-brained individuals and things like that, and you're not sure exactly what they mean, but probably not what the person who originated that word meant, that it kind of takes on a life of its own, and eventually the life gets squeezed out of it. I don't know how, just out of curiosity, how many of you have seen the movie The Princess Bride? Has anyone, all right, The Princess Bride. Okay, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when the man in black is pursuing the, um, the Spaniard, the Sicilian, and the giant. And he's not supposed to be able to climb up the cliffs of insanity, but he succeeds. And the Sicilian there in the middle, he says, he didn't fall? Inconceivable. And then the Spaniard, uh, played by Mandy Patinkin, says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And that's one of the problems with buzzwords, is that is that we use them and we overuse them, and they don't actually mean the things that we think they do. And And there's bad news. Christians do that, too. Christians have buzzwords of their own, and one of the problems, as we talked about last week, is that when we use these words, they can they can mean different things to the people who are hearing them. And so uh, last week we looked at the word faith, which is one of the problems that uh, one of the words that causes non-believers a lot of trouble. That when Christians say it, we mean one thing, but what non-believers hear is things like um, uh, Mark Twain said. Uh, having faith is believing something you just know ain't true. So, so that's what people were talking to. We're trying to communicate, but we're not communicating because we're using a Christian buzzword and we don't appreciate the way it lands on the people we're trying to communicate with. We're using a word that we might say it means what we think it means, but our audience thinks it means something else. So uh, for us, uh, as we saw last week, uh, to to have faith is to trust God, that we trust God, we trust God's promises, and we trust um, the that Christ is the fulfillment of those promises. So that's what we saw last week. And so that was kind of the, 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 the what is faith. And we talked about the why of faith. Why is faith important? And the answer is because Christianity is a faith. It, it boils down in the end to trust in God. That that's what Christianity is all about. So, so Christianity is all about faith. So that's kind of the why. The what is trust. And now today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about where faith comes from and, um, how it comes. So uh, to answer the first part of that question, your faith is a gift from God. So um, we believe that it's not up to us to earn faith, that we can't, you know, go off into a library, you know, and study and, and pray and so forth, and that, that somehow we can work our way up to faith. We don't have to psych ourselves into it. We don't have to pretend to believe things that we know ain't so. Um, we can simply trust that God, or we can make I'm using the word trust today. We can we can wait for God to to give us uh, the trust that we need. So our faith is a gift from God. Um, uh, we that comes straight out of the scriptures in his letter to the Ephesians. Paul says God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. This is a gift from God. 
And sometimes people will try to turn it into something we do. It's like, well, you know, I went to church and I, I, you know, uh, went to the camp meeting and, you know, I was eight years old and I, I said I believed in Jesus. So, so it becomes a kind of a, a thing for us. But Paul says, no, you can't take credit for it. God is invisible and the only way you can have any trust, any faith uh, in God, the only way you can believe in God is if God reveals himself to you. So even that revelation is a gift. So it's nothing you need to take credit for, and you don't have to work at it. You don't have to psych yourself up into believing, you know, scrunch hard and pretend to believe. So uh, God will give you the faith that you need. Um, so uh, we see that uh, Paul talks about his own ministry. He says God spoke to him and said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and to the power of, from the power of Satan to God. That this is, this is the nature of what it is to be a Christian, that we're called to be witnesses. And Paul says that includes me. God, God's initiative, it is, it is not that the Gentiles, whoever the Gentiles are, it's not that they want to hear about God. It's that God wants them to know him. So uh, God is, is the initiator of faith. And he says when that happens, they will receive forgiveness for their sins, and they will be given a place among God's people. So they will be moved from outside to insiders um, who are set apart by faith in me. Now, how does that happen? Well, Paul answers that too in a letter. He says faith comes by hearing. Um, that is hearing the good news about Christ. When you hear that there is a God who loves you, has already acted to save you. This is the way that God uh, gives us faith. And, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean you just heard a, a, a famous evangelist, someone like Paul, uh, say something that, that, you know, it's like the magic word that, that you know, only they know. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that, that we hear the word of God. In fact, Paul says when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are actually announcing the the salvation of Christ. So he says, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And you may say, well, again, the Lord's Supper, okay, that's special. That's, uh, that's, you know, that's kind of, uh, it's super holy, and you know, that's one thing. But, you know, my pastor, not a great preacher. And, you know, what what if, uh, if, if faith only comes from hearing, then what if my pastor's not a good a good preacher. Well, Paul gave us preachers an answer. He said this. He said, when you received his message, God's message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. When I was doing prison ministry, um, they had they had the different faith communities of the prison uh, come to this big central um, auditorium area. And the Christians were in this kind of stairwell area and we were meeting on, you know, kind of up the stairs. And across the hall was, was across the, the auditorium, was a corner where the, the Muslims met. And the thing that always struck me is that, is that the Christians were studying the Bible and the Muslims were studying Arabic. Because you can't study the Quran in English. You have to learn Arabic so you can then study the Quran. And the reason for that is that Christians believe that the Holy Spirit picks up where we leave off. That if you've got a lousy preacher, in fact, even if you have a corrupt preacher, that the Holy Spirit finishes the job of communicating the Word of God. So it's not up to the preacher, it's not up to us, that God wants you to have the gift of faith. So um, that's the way that works. God gives us a gift. 
but what if God doesn't give us the right amount? Well, the answer is God does give you the right amount of faith. God gives you the amount of faith that is perfectly tailored for God's purpose for your life. And you may say, well, look, I'm not even sure, frankly, you know, I'm here to be polite. There's some people I'm trying to be nice to. And so I'm here today, and I'm not even sure if I really have any faith at all. I have a lot of doubts. And if, if that's you, I have good news for you, that every famous Christian you've ever heard of, every Christian in the entire New Testament had doubts. We see this um, all through the New Testament. Um, uh, when Jesus has risen from the grave, he has appeared on multiple occasions to his followers, and they go to the mountain that he had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When you think to Easter morning, they were doubting. There was not, there was not a brass band counting backwards, you know, 10, 9, 8, here he comes, cue the lights. No, nobody believed Jesus in his earthly ministry, and no one was expecting him to be back. So if you have doubts, if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, you're not sure that you're, you're on board with Christianity, that's okay. Remember, it's not up to you to psych yourself into it. Faith is a gift from God. So if you have doubts, that's okay. Paul says, in fact, that everybody gets a different amount of faith. He's, in one of his letters, he's giving a list of all the different types of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives people. So some have prophecy and some have the ability to speech, speak in uh, different languages and so forth. And he says, and the same Spirit who does those gifts, who gives those gifts, gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing and so forth. So we've got this long list. Faith is one of the gifts that he gives. Uh, if you've read the book, The Hiding Place, I, I certainly encourage you to. It's the story of... Um, uh, uh, Corey Tinboom and the, the experience she had during World War II. And, uh, I think of Corey Tinboom as somebody with a great deal of faith. But as you read the book, she's perpetually pointing out her sister Betsy and, you know, oh no, 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 I don't have great faith. Now Betsy, Betsy's got great faith. So for me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a very apprenticed faith person. So, so God has given me a smaller amount of faith in Corey Tinboom, but, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like to live in the same area, uh, same area code as, uh, as uh, Betsy Tinboom. So uh, different people have different amounts of faith, and that's a good thing because it's not a competition, as we'll see. Um, but we're people, and we want more. You know, I'm not sure if I've got enough. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe the faith train passed my house last night. And I didn't wake up. So we, we, we go to God all the time, and we say, uh, show us, like the apostles did, show us how to increase our faith. And Jesus doesn't tell them. He doesn't say, well, okay, step one is do this, and step two is do that. He doesn't tell them how to increase their faith. Instead, he says, trust me, it doesn't take much. He says, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. That it's not the amount of faith you have. And besides, why do we want a big amount of faith? We want a big fa- amount of faith because the same reason we want a big bank account. We think that if we've got a big enough car, big enough bank account, a big enough pile of faith, then that will ward off all the problems of the world. That if I just have enough, then I won't be challenged. Well, uh, this is part of what it means to be a Christian. It's never going to be easy to swim upstream. If you want to just float with the current, that's easy enough. But if you want to float, if you want to swim upstream, it's always going to be hard. You're always going to be under assault. And uh, Paul uh, writes in Ephesians, he says, uh, that the reason we have faith is it is a shield. Why do we need a shield? Because we will face 
fiery arrows of the devil. And you know what that looks like. You don't have to believe in, you know, a red guy with horns and, and a pitchfork to understand what it means to be constantly challenged. To to have those doubts come back when you when you're satisfied, but today you've got a stomach ache, or today you're feeling a little hypochondriacal and and you're, you're you've got some hypochondria today and so you're thinking you know god has forgotten me and and it's not that somebody has convinced you otherwise but you just don't feel like it or maybe the reason you don't feel like it could be awfully convenient right now the thing i'm thinking about doing it would be very convenient if i didn't have any faith because then i could do the thing i want to do and i wouldn't have to worry about things like that so so we understand that we're all facing challenges all the time and that's what Paul's talking about when he says the fiery arrows of the devil. So, what if, what if I don't have enough? The answer is God's given you exactly the right amount of faith for the purpose that he's given to you for your life. And yet, man, sometimes my faith seems so small. That's okay, because my faith is secure because I have an ally. Ultimately, it's not about me and my faith. It's about God. The night before Jesus was arrested, Peter came to him and said, Man, I got all kinds of faith. I can't wait for your victory and then my position you know, as your right-hand guy. And Jesus says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But, but, I have pleaded for you in prayer, Simon, your faith shall not fail. He says, your faith is not strong enough. Satan is stronger than your faith. But that's okay because it's not just about you. I have pleaded for you. And then I love what he said. He says, so, when my prayer is answered, not if my prayer is answered, not on the chance that you make it through this trial, but he says, okay, once that's over, then... Strengthen your brothers. He says, I have pleaded for you, and that's all it's going to take, because you have an ally. Later on, uh, the writer to the letter to the Hebrews says, um, says this. He says, let us run with endurance. Let us face those arrows. Let us get through the challenges of our life. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. How do we do that? We do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who did not only initiate our faith, but who will bring it to completion, who will perfect our faith. So uh, let us keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. But it's not just Jesus. I don't know exactly how the Trinity works and how God divides up tasks between the, the Holy Spirit. I do know from studying uh, theology in, in seminary that almost anything I say will be a well-known heresy. So I will just say it is a mystery to me how that all works. But... If we're saying, yeah, but what about, you know, Jesus versus God, right? What, you know, I'm not sure about that. So, who is God, who is Jesus praying to? You know, maybe Jesus is, is, is overconfident that God will answer his prayers. God the Father will. And Paul speaks about that. I'm sure we're not the first people to wonder that. He says, look, if God is for us, who can be against us? And how do we know that God is for us? He says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Paul says, the evidence that Jesus' prayer will be heard by a friendly ear is the fact that God has already demonstrated his love for us. We don't have to worry, does God, does God, uh, 
is God predisposed to answer that prayer? The answer is obvious. He's already given his son for you. What, what else could Jesus ask for that God hasn't already shown he's willing to give? So, what do we do with these arrows? Well, we accept the fact they're going to keep coming. And not only that, sometimes we're going to fall. He says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. The people around you, the people that you admire most, they all face temptations. But he says, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That's what the faith is for. It's a, it's a shield. And when you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. He doesn't say he will put an end to the temptation. He doesn't say you can set the shield down. He says the shield will give you cover while you run away. That's all you need. You don't need enough shield to defeat Satan. You don't need enough uh, uh, enough faith to overcome this temptation. All you need is enough faith to escape with your with your skin. So, Paul says this in his letter to, the Tim- to Timothy. He says, "I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return." The reason for these trials, the reason that God gives us these experiences, is so that over time we can have a track record and we can say, okay, the reason I can trust God is because he's always come through in the past. It's not just something in a dusty old book that I never read. It's something I've experienced over and over and over and over again. I have seen in my own life over and over again the way that God has been faithful. And so, yes, I do know the one in whom I trust and I am confident that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Tim Keller, who is a pastor in New York City, he says this. He says, ultimately, it's not the strength of your faith, but the strength of the object of your faith, the the, the object of your faith that actually saves you. And so are we going to face troubles? Yes, we are. Paul says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. You know, you can circle all those knots. Paul is saying, yes, you're going to be facing troubles, but God is going to use those to help you build the relationship that will give you greater and greater trust. So, it's not up to you to build trust. God will take care of that. All you have to do is flee, is is use that faith as a shield and flee. So, what do we do with our faith? Well, Faith is kind of like a pet. Your faith thrives on water and exercise. What do I mean by that? Well, water is the water of baptism. If you got, if you got faith, if, if, if and when God gives you faith, maybe for some of you God hasn't given you faith, but when you do, the appropriate thing to do with it is to say, hey, I have faith now. I, I am a believer. I have put my trust in Jesus. And the way that we do that, uh, historically, the church has always done this. Jesus commanded the church to make this available to people, is baptism. So if you have faith in God and you have not been baptized, you should be. It is the, it is the right next step when you receive faith. So uh, we read that in the, in the book of Acts. When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So as they came to faith, they were baptized. The baptism doesn't save you. The baptism doesn't provide any extra protection. It's not like you got a barcode written on your arm and when you go to heaven, you know, I've got the baptism barcode. It's not like that. But he's saying it's the appropriate right thing to do is to say I'm going to be living my life now 
in light of my faith. So it is the next step. And then you've got the water taken care of. What about the exercise? Well, Paul says, uh, uh, James uh, says this. He says, as the body is dead without breath, so faith is also dead without good works. If somebody gave you a gift, this is the classic example. Somebody gave you a gift, right? Let's suppose your grandmother, you know, you're, you're eight years old. Your grandmother gives you the BB gun or whatever it is you want. And your parents are cringing. There it is. What's the first thing mom tells you to do? She says, write a thank you note. So do that. But then what do you want to do? You don't want to just like put it in the closet and leave it there. Maybe mom would like that, right? But what do you do? You want to go out and start shooting things because it's a BB gun. And he says, if you have faith and you never use it, you know, what does that communicate about your faith? You don't really like it. You don't trust it. Maybe you think the gun's going to explode in your hands, whatever it is, right? Um, that for whatever reason, you really don't like that gift. You don't trust it. You don't, you don't want it, whatever it is. So, so what is the sign of, of real faith? It's the fact that you exercise it. So James says that if your faith is not producing works, then it's a dead faith. And there's a great example of this in the, in the gospel accounts. Jesus is preaching, and um, uh, he's probably in a smaller room. It's not that he's a much better preacher than me, but that room was absolutely filled, and nobody could get in the back door. So uh, what they did is they broke a hole through the roof. These four guys carried their friend to uh, to, uh, to Jesus, and Jesus looks up at them, and he saw their faith. They lowered the man, the man on, the, on the mat right in front of Jesus, and seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. That Jesus healed this man, um, not because of his own faith, but because these friends of his brought him to Jesus. And that's really uh, something for all of us. You know, the reason it's not a competition, the reason you don't have to worry if that person next to you has more faith is because some challenges are going to be so big, it's going to take more than more than you, regardless of how big your faith is. There are challenges that require multiple people. And so, a simple team. You know, that's really what the church is. The church should be tackling challenges. We should be bringing people to Jesus that require more than one person. There are people who are just done hearing you talk about Jesus. And so what can you do? How can you bring them to Jesus? Bring them to church in prayer. Your friends, I want you to help me pray for this person because I really want to bring them to Jesus. I've seen the, the, the problems they've got in their life, and I want help bringing them to Jesus. So assemble a team, because your faith may not be enough, but if there's four of you, maybe your faith will be enough. Paul says that all these things are, are what we do. That, that Paul says, Paul says um, our great desire is that we keep on loving others as long as life lasts. I keep saying Paul, the, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, that we keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come become true. So he says, keep on loving people. Why do you do that? Because then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Your faith won't just kind of atrophy. He says, instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. It's by uh, It's by loving people that you exercise the faith. It's not about moving mountains. And in fact, Paul does say that. He says, the familiar words, you've heard them at a wedding someplace. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, would it be faithful for me to go around moving mountains? No. What I should be doing is loving people. So he says, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, 
It would be nothing. Because we're given enough faith that when we assemble a team, when we become part of the family of the children of God, we could move mountains. But more than that, we can bring people to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the faith we have. And um, sometimes, Lord, when we are facing the fiery arrows, it seems as if it may not be enough. And um, help us to remember then that it's not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith, that when we remember we have an ally who is Jesus, and that you are predisposed to hear Jesus' prayers, that we can overcome at least long enough to flee. Lord, uh, there are people, some, some people that we have been praying for, people we've been trying to bring to Jesus, who are overcome with doubts and really have no faith at this point. Lord. We pray for them because we know it's not up to us to save them. It's not up to us to give them faith. It's up to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work in our lives, that they would see what you're doing with us, and you would, you would give them faith as they saw the gospel proclaimed in our own lives. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.